0: Last week, Pastor Daniel spoke the first sermon in this new series called Dreamer. He walked us through the beginning of Joseph's life. If you remember, Joseph was the son of Jacob, and he was the most loved son. He was loved so much that he was given a multicolored coat by his father, to signify not just his love, but also his status in the family. Because you don't go tend to the sheep and do the unwanted jobs in a beautiful multicolored coat. You do that in grungy wear. But his dad had elevated him, the youngest son. And we saw last week how God, even though... Joseph was elevated to that status and brought down. Eventually, attempted, uh, the, uh, his brothers attempted to kill him and sold him into slavery. Even though that happened, God was still at work in his life. Tonight, we're going to continue with that same theme. As you see in the graphic dreamer, underneath there, God at work. This is a story about a dreamer named Joseph and how God was always at work in his life, even when it didn't seem like he was. And tonight, we're going to pick up the story right where we left off last week, in Genesis chapter 39, and we are going to see that even when misfortune comes your way, as it did for Joseph, the cliffhanger last week, he's sold into slavery, this this beloved son sold, even when misfortune comes in your life, do not forget that God is at work. So, Joseph, we find in these verses we'll read in a moment, is favored again, okay? He had endured suffering at the hands of his brothers, and then here today we'll see that God is clearly at work to bring about his resurrection, right? He's working something new in his life. And what God was doing in his life, apart from his family, apart from his homeland, Everything faring well, we find struggle. So, I want, before we get into the verse, um, to hear this, this first subpoint. We don't need to confuse complacency with contentment. You see, Joseph gets into this new place, out of his homeland and out of away from his parents, away from his family, away from all that he knows, and he is a slave. And if he falls complacent in what we read today, we will find that he doesn't face trials with much effort, with much vigor. But if he can find contentment, which is joy, regardless of his surroundings, we'll see that he can have what that last song we just sang proclaimed. Victory that belongs to Jesus. So, let's pick it up in verses 1 through 8. I saw Daniel passing some more out. Hopefully you grabbed when you walked in a sheet that looks like this and we're going to have a few fill in the blanks that you can do on your own as we go. And the words you'll find here on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. This is Genesis chapter 39 Starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. This is right after he was sold into slavery. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. So he's changed hands a couple of times now, and he comes to this man Potiphar's house. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed now the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph... Was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. The first point that we need to see tonight is that the Lord's favor is not freedom. From temptation. Instead, it invites it. The Lord's favor is not freedom from temptation. Instead, it invites it. You can leave that up on the screen while I talk about this point if you'd like. You see, James teaches in the New Testament, we read that just a moment ago in the scripture reading. He teaches this point. He says, The testing of our faith, oftentimes through the means of temptation, produces something in us. It produces Steadfastness. What he's saying is when you face trials, you build up steadfastness. And he says that leads to perfection. It leads to completion. In other words, before facing trials and temptations, we are incomplete. Well, why? Well, it's it's similar to if you follow sports, someone who comes out of college and enters into a professional sport. There's a lot of praise if they're a high pick, right? Maybe the the team gets them, the whole city rallies around them, and they're very excited. But this person is an incomplete athlete as far as it relates to that team. They have not stepped onto the field, been tried and tested to see if they are really as complete of a quarterback as everyone has said they were on TV. In a similar sense, in our spiritual lives, until we are tried and tested, We are incomplete. So James says, trials and temptations should be considered joyful encounters. They should be teaching moments, knowing that we're actually producing steadfastness inside of us, and that will lead to perfection and completion. Here, we see that Joseph finds favor with Potiphar. And then Potiphar starts noticing all the favor Joseph has, and he says, you know what? Every time I pay him, his investments go well. Every time I give him a, a new place to live in, he takes really good care of it and is blessed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put him in charge of all of my money. I'm going to put him in charge of all of my house. And the formula works. We saw in verses 4 and four and 5 that then Potiphar's house suddenly is blessed and finds favor. And what we, what I, tend to think is that when I have favor, it's when I'm not facing Temptations and trials, right? Because those are, those are difficult. Those are not favor. Those are more like curses. I often view them as curse, curses. It's not a good thing to face trials and temptations. Well, here we see that f- the Lord's favor is different from the favor of man. The Lord's favor isn't freedom from anything difficult. It's not freedom from temptations. Joseph had favor. Yet there at the end of verse 7, we learned, it didn't mean He had freedom from temptation. In fact, it invited it. You see, he was handsome in form and appearance, a matter of favor, you might say. And so Potiphar's wife, no doubt also because everything this man touched was successful, looked at Joseph and desired him. And she met him with a temptation. She pursued him and she said, come lie with me. Now, if you, um, if you saw in the beginning, Potiphar had put Joseph in charge of everything in his house. And the, the wife of Potiphar would be the one thing that Joseph did not have charge over. We find that out very clearly later when Potiphar reacts to something that happens negative. But for now, we have to see that the Lord's favor is not freedom from temptation, but it, instead it invites it. And you might might know the story of Adam and Eve. They were placed in a garden at the beginning of creation. And God said to them, he he favored them. They they got to walk with him daily, He spent time with them. And he said to them one thing. Do you remember what the one thing was? He said, you can eat from anything that I give you. He gave them command over his whole house. You have dominion over this whole land, this whole garden. Except one thing. The tree of of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of. What happened with Adam and Eve? They saw that one thing they couldn't have and they desired it so greatly that when their favor invited temptation, the serpent Said, oh, come on. Don't you know you'll just become like God if you eat this fruit? He didn't really say you couldn't eat it, right? Just just take a bite. When they were tempted, their favor, they had dominion over everything, invited the temptation except this one thing. And they were faced with the temptation and they gave in. They both ate of the fruit and sin entered the world. Let's see what happens with Joseph in a very similar place in charge of a whole house, dominion over everything. And temptation enters. How does he react? Let's pick this up in verse 8. Verse 8 says, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not even greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, When he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. I'm going to have Bobby come up and help me with something really quickly. The next point, number two, is when it comes to temptation, resistance, does not prevent persistence. Everybody say resistance. Resistance does not prevent persistence. Bobby, you can pick those up. I'm going to have Bobby face some resistance. He's going to start doing some dumbbell curls. These are eight-pound dumbbells, right? Everyone in this room could do a curl with eight-pound dumbbells. Or maybe even some butterflies, right? Okay. So Bobby's going to do some curls while while I explain to you this next point. You see, resistance doesn't always have the best reputation. If you've ever noticed, um, resistance gets a bad rap. You know, I will confess that I am often resistant to other people's ideas. Those of you who know me will know that comes as no surprise. Um, It's not a healthy formula for living in a relationship with people, especially my wife, whom I live closest to. I have recently begun a practice, though, of trying to, to go with her idea without any commentary or without a bad attitude. And I have found that it's actually, you doing okay? All right. It's actually always either the same result or, go figure, even a better result than my idea was. You see, my resistance to her ideas or anyone else's ideas, that's not a good thing. That's a bad kind of resistance. But resistance isn't isn't only a, a tunnel vision type idea. Resistance is eclectic. There are times where resistance is a good thing. Right, Bobby? Yes. While it can be certainly challenging, with little understanding of its importance in our daily life, we can see clearly how resistance can be helpful and even formative to us. You see, Bobby is seeing right now a type of resistance that is good for you, right? Weight resistance. You see what happens... I'm not a physical trainer, but I'll try to describe to you what happens. When the resistance, when Bobby's muscles are faced with resistance, they're torn down. Anyone ever experienced soreness the day or two days after working out? Especially after the first time in a while? Okay, it's because your muscles have faced resistance. They got torn down. But, getting tired? I told him he has to do it till he can't do it anymore. Come on. He's going to be sore. What's happening? Resistance Resistance is happening and it's making you what? Tired. It's fatiguing him because his muscles... Are, you can stop, you can stop, you can stop. Give Bobby a round of applause. Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Resistance breaks down Bobby's muscles. But what happens when your muscles get broken down? Day two, day three, day four. Especially if about a day or two afterward, you go back to that same movement. What happens? You get what? You get stronger. Your muscles actually grow back stronger than they were before. This resistance is a good thing because it produces, kind of sounds like this guy James we just talked about, right? It produces something in the body that's good. It produces muscle growth. Resistance is not always a bad thing. And the second point, if you can pop it back up there, is when it comes to t- temptation, resistance does not prevent persistence. Persistence. In other words, just like Bobby was persistent in going on and on and on about that, um, Potiphar's wife was persistent in pursuing Joseph. Now, I tend to think that if I win on a temptation, God should reward me by letting me not face that temptation again. Anyone else ever been there? That's not how temptation works, though, because resistance doesn't prevent the persistence. But it has a purpose, The purpose is the same as the dumbbell curls. You and I face resistance in our lives for a purpose, church. It's good. Consider trials and temptations like going to the gym for your soul. It's hard work. You sweat through it. You cry through it. Anyone ever been crying alone in the gym? No, you don't want to raise your hand for that if that was you. (laughs) Got a few raising their hand. There we go. Resistance is tough. It's hard. It's painful sometimes. But resistance has a purpose. Its purpose is to build you up. Joseph faced the temptation the first time. I want for Joseph to not have to face it again. But what happens? Verse 12b. Let's finish that that thought right there. We, We ended, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Now we pick it up. What did he do after facing it over and over and over and over again? Is he getting weaker or is he getting stronger? Here's what he says. Here's what the Bible says. But he, Joseph, left his garment in her hand. He literally ran out of his shirt or his coat He left it, and don't worry, it wasn't the colored coat. If you weren't here last week, that one's with Jacob back at home. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled. He got out of her house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, her husband, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie to me, to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment because, uh, beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then, she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, sorry, to lie with me, as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled fire started in his anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. That's the end of the passage for tonight, and we kind of leave it, unfortunately, in the si- a similar place we left it last week. Joseph, having found so much favor, and then being brought down to the pits. <clears throat> Joseph's temptation. He resisted and resisted and resisted. It didn't prevent the persistence, but it made him stronger so that he could continue to resist, even to the point of fleeing away, causing this injustice, this framing to happen. You know, we notice a few things about this uh, accusation. Did you notice that Potiphar's wife didn't just say, you know, Joseph, Obviously, Potiphar would know the master of his house's first name. Why didn't she say, Joseph tried to lie with me? Do you remember what he said? Remember what she said? The Hebrew. The Hebrew came. Did you know that status affects the degree of the, the status of the person who the crime is committed against affects the punishment. So think of it like this. If I were to call in to the police a threat anonymously from a payphone on someone's life in this room, all right, let's call him Joe. I don't think there's anybody here named Joe. If you are, I apologize. If I were to call in a threat, I am I'm going to Do harm to Joe. The police may look for me. They may not. They got a lot of calls. I know they get a lot of phony calls too. But they may look for me and they may try to um, punish me for this crime. But it's going to be tough. And it's it's not going to be a a very harsh punishment. Right? I probably would not even get a felony charge. And I would probably get out with no jail time. Joe. Now, what if I made the same call to the police, except instead of using Joe's name, I called out a senator or the president. How would the police respond? Very differently, right? How would I be prosecuted? Very differently. You see, the status of the person who the crime is being committed against affects the punishment of the crime. Potiphar's wife had very high status. This alleged crime was a big deal. And what better way for Potiphar's wife to make it worse than to reverse use her status up against his status? You see, she doesn't want her husband to re- be reminded of even his first name, Joseph Joseph. Maybe Potiphar and Joseph had even become friends. They were certainly co-workers at at even level. Uh, Joseph said there, um, he's given me everything. He's not even higher in this house than I am. Right? So she doesn't want to bring that up in his mind. So what does she do? Instead of just saying Joseph, she uses her high status to highlight his low status. This Hebrew who you brought. That was not a compliment. Being a Hebrew slave was the lowest of the low. In Egypt, Hebrews didn't know the language. They didn't know the culture. They were purchased and brought in to be slaves. They had no status. You see, Joseph's status worked against him. He was this great injustice that happened wasn't just because he fled. fled. It was because Potiphar's wife decided to stoke the anger by using her high power to put him down farther. Christians, we can learn a very important principle here as a side note to the sermon. And that is, when we recognize that we have a status that has great effect on how other people act or see or view or work around us, we have an opportunity to act differently than someone with the same status would without Christ. As a Christian, we take our status and we sacrifice it on the altar of the cross, just like Jesus did. So as you get higher in your career or as you get higher in community organizations that you, that you work in or that you volunteer in, remember that when that status is elevated, your responsibility is elevated. My responsibility is elevated. So point number two was when it comes to temptation, resistance does not prevent persistence. Point number three, following that last passage, is that good decisions, if you fill this in, sometimes have bad consequences. Good decisions sometimes have bad consequences, but God uses them to further his plan. When it doesn't seem like God is for you, your faith is what reminds you of a few things. Here's a few I thought of. When it doesn't seem like God is for you, remember God at work, when he's, I don't think God's working for me right here. I mean, think about Joseph. Joseph. Resisting temptation, resisting temptation, resisting temptation, building up that spiritual muscle, building it up, still experiencing favor, and then all of a sudden, thrown into the pit for the second time after having done everything right, this good life that he's living, being punished for it. When it doesn't seem like God is for you, your faith reminds you that God is able, even in impossible situations, Your faith reminds you that God is sovereign. And while he doesn't promise a storm-free life, in fact, as we learned in point one, he promises there will be storms in life. While he doesn't promise a storm-free life, he does promise to never leave you, to work through the storms, to fight through the temptations. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. When it doesn't seem like God is for you, your faith reminds you that God is good. We don't get the luxury of knowing what Joseph was thinking during all of this. Wouldn't it be a magnificent find if some archaeologists dug up a scroll that Joseph had penned as his diary during all of this? To get a window into his mind. I have a feeling it would be something like David's. You know, David was a great king and he did many good things and many sinful things and God honored him and he faced many trials and temptations. And he, we have a lot of his diary, the Psalms. And we get to see a window into what he was experiencing during those times. The highs, the lows, the cursing God, the thanking God, the crying before the Lord, wondering, where are you? I imagine Joseph had the same emotional roller coaster going through this so back to that first point about complacency and contentment don't confuse the two you see had joseph become complacent as a favored one of god when he faced that resistance that temptation it would have knocked him on his back no doubt but Joseph, having gone through the ringer, found contentment. We don't know how, because we don't have the diary. We don't know what he was thinking. But he found it. He had faith in God. He trusted God enough. He resisted the temptation. You see, when you're complacent, you're lazy and you're not ready. When you're content, your head is up. Your senses are live. You're experiencing joy regardless of whether you're in the pit of slavery or in the pit of a jail or at the height of a rich man's home. Contentment is joy through all of those things. And when you find that in your faith in Christ, when you find it like Joseph did in faith in God, you are ready. The resistance comes and you pick it up like Bobby did, and you go. You fight through it. You sweat through it. You cry through it if you have to. Just like David. You go on the emotional roller coaster. Yes, that's correct. Life is not easy. We know we face trials. We face temptations. But if we can find contentment instead of settling for complacency, the resistance will not knock us down. It will build us up. If you can find contentment instead of complacency, the storms of life won't capsize you. The storms of life will lift you up and you will ride the wave into safe harbor. Good decisions, like resisting temptations, sometimes have bad consequences, like being framed for something you didn't do and being thrown into prison. But God has not left you. God does not forsake you in the pit of the prison. He doesn't forsake you when you, for another time yet again, resist someone else's idea when it was you thought yours was better. He doesn't forsake you when you commit adultery against your wife. He doesn't forsake you when you blow up angry at the person who just cut you off at the subway. Coming in like that, maybe they were doing a good work and You just gave them punishment for it. God does not leave you or forsake you in your sin. In fact, you will see in point four, he does something very different than leave you. Point four is, finally, Christ's victory and redemption overcomes our failure and resistance. So, if I were listening to me right now in this sermon, I would be thinking, okay, cool, this is the story of someone who did resist, 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 got stronger, got stronger, got stronger, and he's in prison. (laughs) What happens to me when I don't even resist? Christ's victory in redemption overcomes your failure in resistance. Your failure in resistance does not equal failure as our worldly minds think it. Because Christ comes and says, as you fail in resistance, I will have victory. He faced the cross. Paul says in the New Testament as he penned one of the letters to a church, he Jesus became sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God. What happens when you fail at resistance? Trust Jesus. Trust in Christ as you're resisting. Trust in Christ when you skip gym day and you don't resist at all. Trust because he became sin on your behalf. He became the one in the prison even to the point of death on the cross. What do we do when it feels like God has left us? When we, when we fail to resist or when we resist and he's gone anyway? We turn to Christ. in the second dreamer sermon, I hope you can see clearly something that while we don't know, we hope Joseph is seeing at this time. I hope you see that. God is still at work here. Joseph is not alone. Church, remember, your misfortune is not meaningless. You know that first big idea that we had tonight—a good, no good deed goes unpunished—is kind of a downer to leave church from. How would you learn about at church? Oh, no good deed goes unpunished. It's kind of a downer, so I want you to leave with a new big idea. It's a surprise big idea at the end of the sermon, if that's okay with you. And it's that your misfortune is not meaningless. God has a purpose. Even when misfortune enters your life, God is working it together for your good, for those who are trusting in Christ, who are called according to his purposes. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, you will have trials, you will have temptations, but these misfortunes that you face on earth, they are not meaningless. Leave with that tonight. Your misfortune is not meaningless and neither was Joseph's. And be back here next week for part three to see what happens with Joseph stuck there, now in prison, after having risen and fallen twice now. I'm not sure if you sense a theme, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is difficult as humans with a very limited view of the world to understand your purpose in things. To understand why you would allow hundreds of thousands of people in our country to have their homes flooded and destroyed from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich facing tragedy through storms, hurricanes. God, it's tough for us to understand why When we do everything right, we face negative consequences. I pray that you would help us tonight, though, to see very clearly that our misfortune is not meaningless. Give us purpose, even in the hardest of times. And in those times, God, give us the power to resist temptation just as Joseph did. May that be a muscle that grows so strong in the people of Connection Church that we resist all kinds of temptations that come to us so that strength is built up, so that contentment and joy can happen in the midst of trials and temptations and so that your glory and your name will be pronounced and made clearly known to people who live here in our neighborhood from every nation and every tribe around the globe. We trust you to never leave us, Father. Thank you for your promises. We submit to you tonight in Jesus' name, amen.